You were listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, episode 88. The Canadian immigration process can be complex and frustrating. With the Canadian Immigration Department making it virtually impossible to speak to an officer, there are few places to turn to for trusted information. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest on immigration law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy, as he is joined by industry leaders across Canada, sharing insight to help you along your way. Well, hello there, everyone, and welcome back to a another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. It's been quite a while since I last did one. Um, I've spent so much time focusing on videos that the podcast has taken a little bit of a back seat. But I'm grateful to have the opportunity to release this episode, which is actually in part, uh, it's a vlog, I guess, or a vodcast. <laughs> um, I originally recorded it with uh, my good friend Robert Israel Blanchet, who is an immigration lawyer in Toronto. And um, through the work that the Canadian Bar Association has been doing to try to support um, those suffering through the Afghanistan crisis, uh, a judge in Kabul connected with Robert. And um, this is really the interview that we had with the judge. Now, it wasn't a formal interview. We sent the questions and the judge responded with his answers. And it uh, provided a lot of insight from what the experience was like for someone on the ground who was still there in hiding. So I hope that you enjoy this. Um, If you're listening to this, you can also go over to the Canadian Immigration Institute's YouTube channel and watch the video version, which I'm pretty proud of as well. But hope this helps. Lots of you have been saying, Mark, can you not release these as audio? And we're definitely going to start doing that. But there's only so many resources to go around to try to get all these things done. So I I appreciate your patience. And hopefully there's still a few people hanging around there ready to listen to the podcast. All right, guys, enjoy this interview with a judge trapped in Kabul. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Immigration Nation. I'm Mark Holthy, Canadian immigration lawyer, and today is a very, very special topic, one that we've seen in the news a lot, but I don't think we've really felt what is going on, and that is the situation in, in Afghanistan. We are very, very fortunate to have had the privilege of connecting with a judge who was currently trapped in Afghanistan, in Kabul, who was gracious enough to allow us to tell his story. We've started with a few questions, and then he has provided pre-recorded audio responses. And uh, hopefully, you'll get a taste for what's happening over there. And that this isn't just something nice to listen to, but something that will cause us and our government to reach out and help people like him that are left behind and almost forgotten. Now... Fortunately, today, you guys don't have to listen to me alone. I have one of my good friends and colleagues, Robert Blanchet, who is joining me. Welcome, Robert. How are you? Thank you, Mark. I'm very well. How are you? Fantastic. Well, this is a a pretty heavy topic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I'm so grateful that you're doing this show. And 
As uh, we just discussed a little bit a few minutes ago, hopefully it helps out the justice that is uh, trapped in Kabul. Yeah, absolutely. So Robert, um, so you practice immigration law in Toronto. And I I'm, do. I'm out here in the fine province of Alberta. How did an immigration lawyer in Toronto connect with this fine individual in Kabul? Sure, well, it's, a, it's a great way for this conversation to start um, because it, it gives me the opportunity to give a, a shout out to the myriad of different organizations across Canada right now that are working so hard and so diligently for um, the Afghan people. I'm not gonna list them all, but I'm very proud that also the Canadian Bar Association um, has a pilot, the Pro Bono Initiative uh, regarding the crisis in Afghanistan. There is a um, fairly long and growing list of wonderful lawyers uh, that have offered their time and, and um, brain power to assist uh, people on a pro bono basis. So this justice, uh, through a myriad of different organizations, uh, found my name, did a little bit of his own research, uh, sent an email uh, to us. We're, as I'm sure so many firms or lawyers in the country that you know, practice in, in refugee and humanitarian and compassionate areas, refugee law and, and otherwise. Um, we're just, you know, the emails flooding in from Afghanistan for the past months. So we've got our, at our firm a whole team and a system of how to triage these. And there are certain ones that come to me only maybe because I'm just older and I've been doing this longer. Um, and also that I wanted to be, if there was an opportunity for an intake consultation, I wanted to be the one to hold it. So um, that's essentially, I read his email and I fired it off to our next stage with uh, Laura and Brittany and we connected with him. Uh, we run the, the consultations 24 seven. Somebody is able to get uh, secure Wi-Fi access, which is a huge massive issue right now yeah. inside Afghanistan, even in Kabul, um, even though the US and Germans are still there um, we're, you know, if we need to get up at 3.17 a.m. to meet with somebody, we will. But that's how this justice uh, connected with me. Yeah. yeah, and there's, you know, he is one voice of so, so many over there. And, um, you know, as we, as we pull up these questions that we sent him and the responses that he gave, you can just envision this is one, one individual and their family of, of countless that are of course. in this situation. Of course, he's there, if I may, just as a, a bit of background, he's in Kabul with his parents uh, and a number of siblings. Uh, he's got a very unique name, uh, which is pretty identifiable and is obviously a judge uh, in Kabul. I will, just before we start this, say that one of the things that's jumped out at me in terms of the emails um, are you know, vulnerable groups, women, girls, um, uh, members of the queer LGBTQI community, etc. Also, so many um, human rights activists, former government supporters, allies of Canada, uh, those that had worked in Kandahar and elsewhere. So uh, this, you gave the example, there are so many judges, people like this in Afghanistan, to maybe sieve that down even more. There are so many people of his profile inside, not that anyone is more important than the other, but I think right. you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. All right. Well, while we're here, I want to just uh, bring up a few things for those that are watching live. So we will have a period where we can take some questions from you and to share your thoughts. And if people 
are, are personally affected by this and you're, you're watching, we would love to hear from you. Um, but the whole purpose of this is awareness and awareness that drives action. And so once again, we're so appreciative of, of the, uh, the judge who took the time to, to connect with us and obviously, you know, is, um, is hoping that something positive from this will come. So let's see what we can do. How does that sound, Robert? Perfect. Okay. So what we're going to do here is, um, it's like I said, it's a series of questions. So, you know, if he could be here, we'd have him with us. We'd have him and tell maybe, the story. So sorry, Mark. Maybe we should just explain the questions were created by Mark and myself. Mm -hmm. uh, if people are interested in, in, you know, how they emanated. I don't know if you're going to get there, Mark. So yep. not yep. too many, yep. but that's where they come from. Exactly. So we formulated those and we sent those off to him and then he found a quiet place with Wi-Fi and his, his, I was really amazed. And you can see right away, this is an extremely intelligent, accomplished professional who has for years devoted his life to the betterment of his country. And in one fell swoop, you know, almost from, from night to day, his whole world shifted. And so let's, uh, let's just jump right into the questions and we'll, we'll go question by question. And then Robert and I will talk a little bit about this and the answers. And um, I think you're really, really going to enjoy this. Now, with respect to, to like I said, the questions um, today, it's all about this humanitarian crisis that exists in Afghanistan. And so the questions that are connected to that, we will pull them on and we'll address them. Those of you who are used to watching these lives and having me answer questions about everything related to immigration, we're not going to cover those today. We did another earlier session today. And so understand that uh, you're important. You all are important. But today it's all about the humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. Okay. All right, Robert, let's jump into the first question. Okay. Sure. All right. So it's pretty simple. Tell us first about yourself. Actually, I'll restart that, get the audio right here. Here we go. I'm an Afghan judge uh, who worked over years in a primary district court in a remote part of Afghanistan. Uh, the district of my court's uh, jurisdiction was fully under the control of Taliban, and I had to operate from the center of that province from a tiny office and provide judicial services to the public. We judges uh, lost hundreds of our fellow judges um, in the past years of war um, and because we were in the softest target of uh, assassinations, car explosions, hostage takings and torture by the uh, Taliban and other criminal uh, groups. After the takeover of the country by the Taliban, uh, that fear of losing life uh, never faded away. Um, but on the contrary, uh, it increased uh, in full extent. So one of the things that stood out most to me, Robert, with that response was the fact that he, he said even before they pulled out, his life was, was constantly in danger. And many of his colleagues were. And right. so the work that he was doing has always been work that, that has caused um, elements of danger to himself and to his family. Of course. And, uh, you know, and well, so this is, this is someone who's a champion who's been 
who's been fighting for, you know, for, for principles of, of, of justice and, and, and compassion all his life. Right. Well, I mean, you know, look around the world and look at what we just experienced uh, south of the border uh, with a different regime prior to this one and different, you know, democracies, Hong Kong, Belarus, um, Ukraine, uh, the list goes on and on. So Afghanistan, uh, these are the people that first and foremost are going to make, build, keep Afghanistan um, as it should be a free and, and democratic, uh, proud. Afghani people are, you know, just immensely proud, but equally important. And here's the shameful part. I mean, this is, there's just no other two ways around this. I mean, shame, shame, shame on, you know, countries such as ours, in fact, I'm a, I'm a true blue Canadian, proudest Canadian, trust me, but um, lots of shame around, you know, all the decades and no disrespect to the people, fine people in the Canadian military and others that uh, devoted their lives to, to helping to, to rebuild Afghanistan, certainly. But this justice, like many others, were actively and openly encouraged, prodded to remain and stay. You stay, we'll stay. You build, we'll build. It's together. So, you know, we hightailed it out of there, had a federal election uh, and did an enormous, enormous amount of talking. And lo and behold, as we sit here today talking, there's still no open active pilot or project for those inside the country. So that's, you know, what stuck out to me about this first question was even the fact that he was willing to find a space uh, to even open the recorder and record this from inside the country. So, yeah. And I agree. This whole issue has become so politicized and it's all fine and dandy to get votes. But at the end of the day, what are you doing after the fact? What are you doing to actually put rubber to the road? And, uh, sure. you know, it, sure. it's been, it's been crickets. It really has. Yeah. Been. I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's politicized to an extent and to a degree by some. Uh, again, going back to my initial shutout, and this is the perfect opportunity. There are so many lawyers, wonderful, hardworking lawyers, fierce advocates across Canada, refugee practitioners, uh, NGOs, many of them. I'm not going to start naming them, not to leave them out, but I will likely forget one and I don't want to do that. So so many NGOs and, and, and people in the country that are trying to help, but here's the deal. We're not the government of Canada and uh, until the government of Canada opens, starts, creates something for those inside, I want to add something before we go to mm. the next question. Yeah. You know, even for Afghan nationals, let's say that are in the United States, let's say they're in a camp in the States, they've been given humanitarian parole, they might be heading to a credible fear interview and they make a claim for asylum. Well, you know what? Even if they want to leave the States and come to Canada and claim refugee protection here, they can because our POEs are closed and those entering at spots other than POEs are getting direct backs. backs. Yeah. So this is, it would be too simplistic to just say this is only about Afghan nationals. Of course, they're at the most at risk, my goodness. But even for Afghan nationals outside the country, it's difficult. All right. Second question we asked are pretty simple. Where are you now and with whom? Uh, 
I am in the capital of Afghanistan uh, with my family, uh, living in hiding. Looking at the past behavior of the Taliban towards the uh, judges and the fact that they uh, uh, released all the convicted uh, uh, criminals from the uh, jails of Afghanistan, and there is not any guarantee uh, that if you get out of home and uh, go public and you are not uh, being targeted or uh, killed. And there's a reason, Robert, that, you know, that we, we chose this. There are so many groups like you identified that are, um, you know, that are recognized, that are, you know, classified as the most vulnerable well, I cannot think of a group that does not rank up there as high as judges who have now seen all of the people that have been tried and convicted and, you know, and in prison being released. And well, so, when, yeah, I mean, once you're central or core branches of, you know, the, the governance or administration of the country start to go, the judiciary, uh, you know, it, it renders the police and other security forces their charges, even if they're trying to do their jobs, it's rendered meaningless if it can't propel forward to court and charges and convictions or other types of matters. Um, I, you know, yeah, I mean, it's just sort of scratch your head moment um, around why this, this can't be done and why we can't help judges and former people that worked at the Canadian Embassy in Kabul, worked with Canadians in Kandahar, as interpreters, etc. Um, yes, it's it's frustrating. Would be putting it mildly. The next question was describe the final days, and I think before we get to the answer, I think we all have our our images of of the news reports and watching just the chaos that ensued, and um, I think you know there's there's shock value with those things, but even that shock value we as a society are so used to that kind of thing. You know, we've become so desensitized, whether it's the media or whatever it is, you know, the, the movies we watch and, you know, we forget that these are, this is a real, a real thing that's taking place. And the images of, of, you know, people trying to get on the planes when the planes were taking off, these are real human beings. These are real people. It's not just a movie. It's not just, you know, this, you know, it's real. And so, so yeah, so when I, when I think about that, uh, let's, let's listen to this response. Uh, I will describe the final days uh, in uh, three words, and that is um, chaos, uh, hopelessness, and fear. And the whole country is in shock. Uh, schools and universities are shut, uh, government employees haven't received uh, for three months uh, their salaries uh, or lined uh, in front of the banks to receive uh, $200 weekly. And the people who have worked with the U.S. or other foreign nations that were present in Afghanistan are leaving in the country uh, and lifting behind uh, everything they had. The women of in the country and the young girls of this country uh, think that they have lost everything. Uh, they might never 
uh, have a chance to uh, study uh, or work outside uh, from their homes or have um, a future like any other uh, human being around the world. What are your thoughts, Robert, on that? Well, uh, you know, pretty unbelievable to hear this uh, live to what you said earlier, once you strip away media and, you know, a lot of other things going, you just going on and you just listen to someone uh, describing this and just plain talk. Uh, it's just pretty eye-opening and just uh, uh, very, very, very challenging and difficult. Uh, again, I'm really, you know, I, I guess because I've been practicing in this area maybe for 30 years, or maybe I'm like this and it's why I practice in this area. Um, you know, now for me, is, it's going to sound weird, not the time for emotion or crying, you know, for me, um, I, I have, but we just got to hunker down on this. You know, the reality is that he's right. I mean, I, I, I really hate to say this, but I'm going to say it because it's so important uh, in terms of the message that we're trying to send. You know, he could be killed uh, before he gets out of the country. Um, and uh, he, he well knows that. And uh, he appreciates, I think one of the things, the nuances here also is that, you know, things were not exactly like Disney World pre-Taliban yeah. in Afghanistan. So, you know, very, very volatile situation, the geopolitics of the region, the Russians bordering Pakistan, you know, all of that. So, again, this is why even the pro bono initiative, you know, the, the lawyers in Canada, this is a CBA initiative. The, the, I should have mentioned that the services are also provided in Farsi, Dari, and Pashto. So to those listening now or on the recording, please spread the word. At least we can try to connect and connect Afghan nationals with, you know, experienced immigration lawyers. Once something opens, we're supposed to get cabinet end of month and a new minister or same minister in the new, you know, new cabinet uh, by October 26th. So, and in terms of what you said earlier about people being complacent and not caring, well, you know, gee whiz, here's what you can do. It'll take you probably a minute or under. You can email your MP, right? You can send an email to your MP and just say, you are very concerned about the situation, the crisis in Afghanistan, and you want to see action and why there's no, not the government of Canada is not doing anything for those inside. Give money. You know, you can make a no donation, a dollar, a toonie, five bucks towards a, a credible organization that is advocating or trying to help in terms of um, keeping up pro bono initiatives for a myriad of organizations. So there's lots of ways that, you know, people, uh, you know, very busy in their own lives, people, hardworking people don't have to spend too much time to, to lend a hand. Yeah. So um, the fourth question that we're going to, we're going to shift to now is to describe the post U S withdrawal and what was Cabal like during that time? Right. Uh, people were frightened and disappointed. Uh, the images of fear and disappointment were fully depicted in the horrifying uh, scenes of Kabul airport. Uh, as the young, educated and uh, aspiring generation of uh, this country 
uh, felt uh, they have lost everything. Uh, among those who fell off the airplane were uh, a young doctor and a teenage uh, national team football player. Uh, that describes everything, I think. So we all remember what the scene was like. You know, we watched the media, we watched the videos, we watched exactly what he's talking about, the planes taking yeah. off, people doing everything they could to to clamor on them. You know, I, I, I just, he talked about, you know, this chaos and, and, and I think he used the word hopeless, hopelessness, this feeling of just despair that everything that you'd worked for for so many years was over. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Well, there's so many thoughts. Uh, democracy building is very precarious and you have a lot of, of, of actors or players around the world that are dead set against it. You have a very hastily planned, no comment on our friends to the south, but a quite hastily planned exit from Afghanistan with what seems to be little to no to poor information in advance um, around what was going to go down and that uh, what measures were being taken urgently to help people uh, leave in, in a dignified, safe, secure manner. But, you know, something else, you, you know, practicing my refugee practice, I, I litigate, um, spent decades on representing refugee claimants and complex ones and humanitarian applications and all that stuff. And, you know, almost 30 years, there are certain things when you work with this category, this class of persons, this justice right now, I don't, I don't define him as a refugee per se. I would say he's an IDP. He's an internally displaced person. He's not displaced. He's in Kabul. But in any event, he's inside the country. And that's a very important point here. But, you know, for 30 years, almost 30 years, refugees have carried such an unfair, unwarranted, undeserved profile, you know, here. Uh, they need from us only. And what are they coming to Canada with? And are they you know, we know, and, and in fact, Canadians governments have actively promoted certain stereotypes and stigmas. And, you know, here's the deal, a very brilliant, accomplished judge in a country is a refugee, will come, hopefully could come to Canada as a refugee. And so one of the things that I think sticks out to me is how, you know, your daily life in this country, you're there again, doing dignified work, trying to support a democracy, the engagement of women and girls and all members of Afghan society to participate. And overnight, you're, you're whole, that's all just sort of dropped away from you. And you're now an internally displaced person or a refugee, your life is in danger. And the how rapid that is, and what he's about to face as well when he gets out of the country and what will be for him, let's not forget as he's doing this interview, He's an esteemed judge, etc. But he's also he's in his late twenties, I believe, and he's also got his whole life ahead of him. So that also just can't be lost. Here is just uh, just how sad the whole situation is. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to get his thoughts now on the international community's response. Sure. Well, uh, the international community's response uh, was not uh, an adequate response. Uh, the people of Afghanistan uh, who joined hands in the last 20 years with all the countries that had a presence in Afghanistan to build a future uh, 
and the prosperous life for themselves and their children now feel uh, they are betrayed and left alone. Uh, for the upcoming winter, uh, the people of Afghan Afghanistan need urgent help and assistance with humanitarian aids and support. Uh, the other vulnerable part of these people who were promised that they were getting out of danger with the help of the international community um, is disappointed. I think I think disappointment's an understatement. Well, I th you know, he uh, is being very careful about the words that he's choosing, quite obviously. Uh, he's, uh, there's no doubt he's under self-censorship as well. Um, so we, we have to bear in mind where he's speaking from. And, um, you know, he's quite correct. He's putting it in about as polite. I wouldn't put it in those terms as politely as, as he is. I guess for the viewers and immigration lawyers, you know, the two countries right now, that are granting exit visas, entry visas, are Pakistan, Tajikistan. Uh, there is the opportunity for a TRP if you can, you know, you got to find a visa office like right. Ankara uh, or, uh, you know, any of them in the region, I, Amman. Uh, in any event, you got to find a visa office that can that can process this and, and get some type of application in a TRP. Uh, seems to be one of them. And then there's, you know, hopefully by October 26th, the day, you know, after they pull away from Rideau Hall, I hope that immigration minister is going to get a podium in front of him, her or other and start announcing effective yesterday um, pilots for what people can apply for uh, online on a portal. If, if this judge can access, you know, Wi-Fi talking to us by recording these questions and responses, well, then he can access a portal to file something, you know, to get yes. something started. So, yeah. And the reality is for most of these people, you still have to find a way to get out of the country. Well, of course. And, and, I and, mean, that's, and that's the biggest, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges. You know, if you can find a way out, then, then maybe there's options while you're right. in there. You know, the, 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 you know, those in power are not going to make your life easy. If you, even if you do want to leave. And so, yeah, you know, and again, yes, I mean, quite obviously, everybody's, if you can imagine in a holding pattern, I mean, uh, it's crazy to, to think that we're in a holding pattern at this stage of the game. I wanted to mention also in terms of special programs, um, there is the Refugee Center in Montreal, Lisa Middlemiss. Uh, mentioned this, uh, uh, they have put together a flowchart or something on special programs for Afghanistan. So again, for lawyers or people in Canada, anyone watching or anywhere on what they can do now, um, the Afghanistan special programs, it's it's um, Sejong Park with uh, maybe Gomber Dolphin, our fellow warriors at Montréal, so um, that's just another resource for people, at least if they want to start putting, building something that could then go A24 TRP or A25 agency or whatever. So. Yeah. So, okay, let's connect in with the last question here. And it's basically his thoughts on Canada's response and what potentially can be done better. Uh, well, uh, in the initial days of Afghanistan's government collapse, uh, Canada helped 
those that were in a way employees of uh, Canadian institutions. Canada announced a humanitarian program for Afghans in need uh, and we are grateful for that. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, the humanitarian program failed to consider Afghan judges in much clearer terms uh, as the group uh, in urgent need. Uh, still, the people who are qualified for the program and stuck inside Afghanistan don't know how to apply. Uh, the program requires to be outside of Afghanistan, registered to unit CR, and be referred to Canada. First of all, people are stuck inside Afghanistan. No neighboring country issues a visa for Afghan nationals, except Pakistan. Uh, the office of UNHCR in Pakistan doesn't register or refer Afghans uh, who want to apply for the program. Um, all in all, uh, it seems impossible to receive this help. I sincerely ask for a revision of the procedures uh, if it is supposed to be a helping effort. So, a revision of the procedures. If you had your way, Robert, what, what revisions would you make to this process? Oh my gosh, wow, oh my goodness. Well, the biggest thing is, the biggest thing is unless you can get out, you, you, you really, well, you know, th there are a few, few options available for you. Right. So, you know, one of the things that makes these situations just so egregious is that there's such a lack of data and whatever data you're getting, it's so fluid and it's moving so rapidly. So, you know, in terms of what I would do, my answer is, what day, what time of day are we talking about? What I would have done from the get-go is liaise with the Americans, the Germans, and the Taliban, charter, I don't know, 100 empty old Air Transat or, you know, WestJet Air Canada planes, strip the seats out, uh, get a time zone that the Taliban would allow it, get a portal air window in, and start loading people up. That's what I would do. Uh, this is nothing new around the world, people being stuck in countries in the rest of the world, well knowing what's going on, but turning a blind eye or remaining willfully ignorant. So in any event, uh, what I would do also is I would tell you what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't announce with big fanfare that I was going to increase from 20,000, 40,000 Afghan nationals here. And as of last Friday, I think there were 37,400 spots open still. So, you know, this doesn't assist, it, it, it's, it doesn't assist Afghan nationals inside the country to get their hopes up falsely, perilously for no reason. It will divert energy and from other opportunities for them, perhaps, right? Time is fleeting here. They're, this, they're not planning a holiday out of the country. So this is the refugee category. So. Uh, tick, 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 the time goes, but we don't have a minister. We don't really know to whom to, to talk to about this, to create something. Uh, so the, the machination of our federal government is, is halted until next week. Yeah. And you think about him, I remember the one response he said about them being without pay, essentially, civil servants, right. government employees for three months. 
Yeah. So you right. wonder how are you how are you eating? Like how would how would we do if we you know if our if our line of of, of income and, and support was was just cut off without any warning? And well, know, I, it was even we you know even if we had funds in an account, you know we're fearful for even leaving the house to go to the bank to to withdraw money or to get groceries for our family. Right. Know, and and this well, is this is the plight of of many who are in these humanitarian crises all over the world. And like right. you said, it takes it takes horrific scenes. It takes a little a little Syrian boy to be washed up on the shores of Turkey. It takes video of of people clamoring on airplanes leaving an airport and plummeting to their death to get people's attention while all these other countries all over the world you know there's there's maybe no less suffering in them um that just right. don't get any any notice sure and you know what's another you know nuance to this or not is that you know, even the Federal Court of Appeal in an old decision called Yi talked about this, that we have to be careful about viewing this situation in Afghanistan through a westernized lens. So the reality is, unfortunately, that Afghan nationals are all too used to this type of environment in their country, bombs and killings and torture and uh, impunity amongst state security agents. Uh, so that also, like, what would I do in that situation, well, you know, the question is, if I was an Afghani judge, well, I'm probably quite used to the environment. I'm probably used to the fact that things can change on a dime. I'm probably pretty smart, probably pretty tough, and uh, probably very committed philosophically in his belief system to his country. I mean, Afghani nationals, it's still their country and very proud to fight for it. And I think he's just we would do the same thing that's what lawyers do something's not working for a client in a file i don't even inhale yeah. i just my belief is then we try this and then we try that and we keep going and we keep going it's tenacity and perseverance and the spirit of life and the desire for something better and the other part of this is that he's traumatized to a certain degree yeah. so what people are saying planning thinking it's just absolute bedlam and pandemonium there's no centralized government for them to turn to properly. There's no one information source upon which they could fully rely. And you could only imagine after, that's why the longer this goes, I, you know, the, the, the mental anguish, psychological anguish, uh, it, it will cause long lasting damages in that regard too, undoubtedly. So it's October 21st, We've been talking about this amongst ourselves, you and I, and so many of our fellow yes. warriors. And again, uh, it is what it is until the 26th or afterwards. Gotcha. Okay, so as we wrap up, Robert, here, you know, I think this has been very, very productive. Um, if you could, and you gave some suggestions earlier in, in okay. the, the presentation, but what are your marching orders for people that are watching this who want to do something about this? Can you remind us again some of the things that people can actually do to, sure. to, to, to make a difference versus just, like you said, feeling sorry and shedding a few tears? Sure. Yeah, I, I even jotted down notes for what people can do, for <laughs> sure. Um, well, you know, first and foremost, <clears throat> to anybody who's going to watch this or watching and anybody who's thinking of giving up their time, 
That's great. Thank you. That's a wonderful gesture, first and foremost. I would fan out to a myriad of different organizations for lawyers across the country that are involved um, in, pers I don't want to, not lobbying, persuading, but, yeah. you know, prodding the government to do something. Do there something. is, yeah, there, so, you know, in terms of doing something concrete, email your MP, make a donation, go on the Canadian Bar Association site, or any one of the myriad of wonderful organizations locally, federally, that are running something like the pro bono initiative or something CBA, find a lawyer, offer your time, pro bono time, offer to do an intake consultation, fill out a form, take us anything. Um, I think the start point is just connect likely with a credible organization uh, that has already started RSS and um, refugee sponsorship training program, refugee sponsorship support program, Jackie. And so there's no lack of things for people to do. They just have to connect with those organizations, I would say. Perfect. I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you, Robert. This was a little rough and tumble. We had, uh, um, we started live and then- We're good with rough and tumble. Connect we, we connectivity on my end, we had to shift to a recording to wrap this up. But even though we weren't able to pull on questions from listeners the way we wanted to, I think that, um, you know, if you really think carefully about what's happened to this individual, and then think, what if I was in that position? What would For I sure. do? You know, I think sometimes that can help us to put things into a, 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 a larger frame that allows us to, to actually go forward and do something. So of course. thanks so much for, for joining. And we will Mark, links, you know, um, I, thanks to you. You're super cool. No surprise to me that you would devote, you know, uh, an episode of Immigration Nation to this. And on behalf of the justice, you've been in touch with him. I mean, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. And for those of you who are wondering, how can I do these things? We'll make sure we've got some links in the description of the video. Click on those links. You can learn more and um, yeah, go forth. All right. Super. Thanks, Robert. Take Thanks care. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian immigration law policy and practice. If you would like to book a legal consultation, please visit www.holpylaw.com. You can also find lots more helpful information on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, where you can join Mark on one of his many Canadian Immigration Live Q&As. See you soon, and all the best as you navigate this crazy world we call Canadian Immigration.